Information sharing has taken on new meaning in financial services as U.S. banking institutions have spent the last 10 months battling distributed denial of service attacks. The Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, better known as FSISAC, has been at the center of this information sharing effort. And now the group is expanding internationally to encourage more information sharing among banking leaders across borders. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Bill Nelson, president of the FSISAC, who discusses FSISAC's plans for the future. Bill, FSISAC's overall purpose is to promote information sharing. Can you briefly tell us about the role your organization has played in the wake of some of the recent cyber attacks the industry has faced? Yes, Tracy, and yeah, thanks for inviting me to speak to your audience and your uh, subscribers today. I think the critical role is we really have developed a platform for trusted information sharing with government, with other sectors, and most importantly, between the members themselves. Uh, to give you an example, over 100,000 threat indicators were shared last month just between members. And a lot of that has to do with developing circles of trust within the different functions within financial institutions, whether they be information security, payments-related, fraud-related functions within a bank, for instance, or even physical security and business continuity types of functions. I think going forward, we're we're seeing the circles of trust expanding into different industries, too. For instance, under the FSISAC umbrella, we have a group uh, of payment processors that shares information, uh, mostly card processors. We also have a group that shares uh, between the clearinghouses and exchanges, the stock exchanges. And we have another group that shares uh, just within insurance companies. So those are just examples of some of the different types of organizations under the umbrella that share. And then that information then gets pushed out to the whole membership. Now, as I mentioned during the introduction, Bill, the FSISAC is expanding its membership overseas. Into what markets have you expanded and when was this effort spearheaded? Yes, and actually late 2011, we got an application from a legitimate UK company. It was a, happened to be a, in the payments business, and they asked to join the FSISAC. And at the time, actually, I think it was one of their security incident response people had used to work for a US firm and had a FSISAC user ID. And when he came to work for this company, they didn't have it, and he was complaining about the lack of information sharing he was getting at that time in the UK. So we ended up taking a look at their application. The board decided that, yes, we will accept their application as a member. And they also came back to me and they said, geez, Bill, come back with some criteria for allowing other global firms to join. So we ended up changing our criteria. It's still selective. They have to be vetted uh, institutions and their headquarter country can't be on, for instance, the OFAC list or things like that. But, uh, you know, we have changed our operating rules uh, a year ago to allow global firms to join that do not have a U.S. presence. As a result of that, we ended up hiring a person that we have uh, stationed in the U.K. to cover Europe. We have received a number of new members uh, from other parts of the world, too, including the major Canadian banks have joined uh, the five major banks, four major banks in Australia. We've seen interest from other Asia-Pacific countries, including uh, Japan, Malaysia, and, and other countries, Singapore. So we're looking at going forward, you know, how do we make sure we support the needs of these new members and develop uh, services that meet their global needs? And Bill, do you have any idea about when expansion into these additional international markets might take place? 
right now we're in the planning stage. For the last year, we've just been assessing you know, what the market is, and the market seems to be there. Many of these new members that have joined have actually come to us, approached us, versus you know we have not made any you know, sales efforts or very few sales efforts, uh, although we have been in London uh, a lot lately, I think three times in the last year, and then hiring a person there I think has made a difference. So I think going forward, you know, we'll continue to explore Europe. Just had a meeting in Canada last week. We had about 60 people in attendance for that. At the RSA conference this year, Art Caviello, uh, their executive chairman, was good enough to host a meeting that we had with firms from around the world. I think there were about 80 to 90 people that came to that meeting. It's a lot of interest from Brazil, some other Asia-Pacific countries. And uh, I think longer term, you know, we can look at going into Mexico, Central America, South America, and, and other countries. Even just recently, we just got a new member that joined. They have a, a fairly large European presence, but they also have a bank in South Africa that they own. So this is a big expansion from our initial efforts, uh, which were focused mostly on U.S. and our global members that were uh, U.S.-based. So now we're looking at uh, meeting the needs of these firms that are international. Many of them are global firms, but uh, they may be based somewhere else. Now, Bill, you've mentioned that a lot of these organizations actually approached you, approached the FSI SAC to ask if they could become members. But is there another reason why the FSI SAC is tasking itself with helping to enhance and encourage this international collaboration? Yeah, I think it's the global nature of the threats. It's not just the U.S. that's being attacked. I won't name the country, but we've made some inroads in a country in Europe, and there's you know, some major banks there that were all attacked recently, DDoS attacks similar to some of the things that we've seen over here. So we've been able to help and share some information that have helped those institutions. I, I like to equate it to kind of a hive, you know, HIVE intelligence concept. And you may have maybe 10 people or 20 people even on your incident response team. And then all of a sudden you see a new type of an attack that you haven't seen before. And with FSISAC, as a, being a member of the FSISAC, you don't just have your 20 people on your incident response team. You really have three, four, 500 people that you can turn to for help in a major attack. So I think these attacks are global in nature. You might see something that happens in Australia. It could be happening in the U.S. tomorrow or next week. And if everybody's sharing, then uh, everybody can be prepared for when it does hit their country. Some of the stuff that we see in the U.S. sometimes hits us first. So we're actually helping our other financial services firms in Europe or around the world. I know in one case in Japan, you know, they just started to see attacks like Zeus and criminal uh, cyber attacks in the last eight to nine months. But of course, we've seen those you know, since really 2008 and 2009. So what would you say is the overall message for the banking industry? It's pretty simple. I mean, these threats are increasing. They're global in nature. Some of the same hacktivist groups and nation states and cyber criminals that are launching these attacks against U.S. firms, are also launching against other global firms, and we've seen this repeatedly. The bad guys, the adversaries, aren't distinguishing. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, especially cyber criminals and the hacktivists are targeting all different types of firms around the world. So we're all in this together, and we need to protect the financial services sector. If one institution gets attacked, it can hurt your reputation too, and I think it's, it's important that we all band together. Now, information sharing, Bill, as you've noted, among U.S. banking institutions has changed dramatically since September 2012 when we first saw these DDoS attacks waged by hacktivists against leading U.S. banking institutions really begin to pick up. What new strategies have been implemented by the FSI SAC since September? 
whoever the adversary was, I don't know if I'd call them hacktivists, but I know that there are vendors that many of our member firms employ to either redirect or what's called scrubbing the traffic. So help filter some of the uh, traffic away from them so you know, people can still have access to online banking. There's also been some efforts by some firms in those particular attacks. These were website hosting servers that were infected. There's been attempts to clean those up too, either through takedown or, or other actions. But I think the primary strategy that we found, and this kind of led to a couple of things, but the big strategy was immediately in September, we formed a new group and we called it the DDoS response team. And it was really just the response team for that threat actor for these kind of advanced DDoS attacks. And that was our primary new strategy. And what would happen is early on, the characteristics were they would attack you know, one bank at a time. Uh, there were generally announcements about who was going to be attacked. Uh, and then that kind of morphed into no announcements about who was going to be attacked. And then multiple institutions were actually attacked. So with the DDoS response team, you were put on that team if your institution was identified as a firm that was going to be attacked. Even if you were not a member of the FSISAC, we invited you to join, you know, signing the appropriate NDAs, et cetera, to participate in FSISAC and be part of that DDoS team. I have to say everybody that was invited to join ended up becoming a member anyway. So they found it was immensely valuable. Where the valuable piece of it was the fact that you had institutions that as they were being attacked, they could report on what the attack looked like. Other members could respond with helpful suggestions on how to mitigate that. So it was almost like an online real-time response to these attacks as they were occurring. For the rest of the membership that was not on the DDoS response team, we pushed out information about the characteristics of the attacks, what was working in terms of filtering and what wasn't working. And we updated our DDoS response toolkit multiple times during this whole process. In fact, it's going through a, a final, uh, well, another rendition here soon, in the next week or so. So with all that information we're able to collect, we're able to push that out to the rest of the membership. So everybody benefited with the knowledge. In fact, I know there was one firm that was targeted in the third phase. And because they had the toolkit, they were fully prepared for the attack when it did come. So uh, we thought that, that strategy really worked. So is the toolkit being updated on a regular basis? I mean, how often? I think we've updated it three or four times in the last 12 months. This is the fourth rendition. How are some of these strategies that are being used, how are they helping to increase the overall cyber threat awareness? And it sounds like the fact that information sharing is crossing these different industries has really just improved the cyber awareness across the board. Part of it, and I think for the first time, this has really gotten attention of the C-suite in many of these firms, and, and these are large institutions. And I know we've been involved uh, since January with meetings with the CEOs of a couple major banks. In March, it was about 40 of the major financial institutions, including some insurance companies that we got to meet with. And, and I think they know, the CEOs now know who the FSISAC is. <laughs> they know who I am. And the other major trade associations in the financial institution industry, like the uh, Financial Services Roundtable and BITS, the American Bankers Association, the uh, Independent Community Bankers Association, SIFMA, which is the Securities Industry Future Markets Association, NACHA and the Clearinghouse, They've all been involved in some work groups uh, addressing these issues uh, at a high level, executive level, and they've gotten the word out about FSISAC but, and some of the good things that we're doing, but also taking a more strategic view going forward of some things that maybe we could increase CEO awareness of. So this has occurred, I and mean, I mentioned the, the threat toolkits, uh, various speeches, webinars, so the word has gotten out throughout the whole sector.
Now, you've touched on this a little bit, Bill, but I'm going to ask you to expand here because information sharing, of course, includes more than just the financial services industry. What other sectors or organizations would you say FSISAC is working with most closely when it comes to improving communications? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we have a person on our staff, Denise Anderson, who's the chairman of the National Council of ISACs. And since she's been chair now for, geez, I think it's been a year and a half, we've really started to increase the amount of cross-sector information sharing that we're doing. And this is shared some of the same information that we share within our sector about the DDoS attacks, about various cyber criminal attacks, hacktivist attacks, et cetera have been shared with all the other ISACs. So if, if you share, it's not always a, a one-way street. You're getting information back from the other ISACs. So that's starting to happen too, and uh, glad to see that. The thing that's happened is the success of the FS ISAC, the multi-state ISAC, the you know, IT ISAC, some of the others, that's resulted in some new ISACs forming. It's my understanding that there'll be a couple new ISACs formed in the next few months. I don't want to give it away who they are, but we're seeing some other sectors actually forming ISACs as a result of seeing the success of and the sharing that's already occurring. And we've been sharing uh, with those sectors already, when they don't, even if they don't have an ISAC. So by creating an ISAC, I think they'll be more active and they won't just be uh, absorbing the information like a sponge. Hopefully they'll be uh, sharing too as they, as they get formed and become operational. And then Bill, before we close, what final thoughts would you like to share with the financial services industry about how banking institutions could get involved with the FS ISAC or how they could learn more? Yeah, I think you can go to our website. It's www.fsisac.com or fsisac.com. And they can learn really kind of where the different membership levels are and what the benefits are. You can actually look at our operating rules and find out more about us. We have some other programs there. We're having our fall conference uh, summit in uh, Phoenix this year. And uh, we actually do some stuff with the U.S. Secret Service on forensic training, the uh, NCFI. It's the National Cyber Forensics Institute. And it's based in Alabama. But we had a really sold-out program last year. It allows you to do some forensics, uh, do some red teaming, really develop some uh, strategies on how to collect evidence for criminal cases and also civil litigation cases. So lots of different programs that you can get involved in with the FSI side. Bill, thanks again for your time today. Thank you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Bill Nelson of the FSI SAC. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.